Thanks for tuning in to the CoLive podcast, where we explore learnings, insights, and discussions with co-living operators and professionals from around the world. If you're a first-time listener on our podcast, just a quick reminder that CoLive is the world's largest co-living association with the goal to connect, educate, and empower co-living professionals. Today's episode has been recorded during one of our monthly meetups, where we discuss a wide variety of topics related to co-living. To join our network or find out about future meetups and other events, please visit colive.org. That's co-liv.org. This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Young Global Living, the platform for your co-living space based on your preferences. With Young Global Living, you can find a new place to live, discover new work opportunities, and connect with other community members all on one platform. Young Global Living wants to make experiences the new kind of living by matching co-livers with like-minded communities and providing co-livers with local perks where location is no longer a barrier. Feel free to look in the show description for more info on Young Global Living, as well as a link to their website, Young Global Living, where you want to be. Let's hop right in to today's episode. What is important this afternoon is our panel of uh, speakers, and 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 it is with my great pleasure that I welcome Will, uh, Anna, we have Ian, we have uh, Praveen, uh, we have uh, Ankit who will be at the um, uh, 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 panel later on, and Pat. So, um, without further ado, I'm gonna hand the mic over to Will, and then followed by Anna, they will introduce themselves, and they will talk five seven minutes with what they're going to share this afternoon. So take it away, Will. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, so I'm Will. Um, I'm a co-living design specialist. Um, I've led projects in Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, and Japan. This includes Singapore's first uh, co-living hospitality project called Hamlet Cantonment. It's a 150-room service department. Um, and I want to share a few insights from my experience combining the two elements. What exactly is co-living and how does it differ from traditional residential and hospitality spaces? In co-living, users rent what they need and share common facilities, benefiting from a more custom and cost-effective living experience. These units revolve around larger shared spaces and common spaces. Successful co-living operators anticipate the user's needs, creating, creating areas for more common requirements and private spaces for individual needs. This ensures the product works both in part and as a whole. The balancing of these two needs is done through a series of different space types, community, shared, and private. Each play a crucial role in a member's overall experience in their time with the operator. Users will attach value to the different spaces, resulting in the rent they're willing to pay. When they're comfortable, they can make their space their own, they want to stay longer, and they'll share their experience with their network, building the operator's reputation within the wider community. Private spaces address users' basic needs, such as a place to sleep and a place to store their belongings, and the core for any hospitality-based business. These are my top tips when introducing co-living concepts into private spaces and hospitality. The first is a place for everything. Storage is always a struggle, so I make sure to understand my users when I have, I, would, I make sure I understand my users and use the space I have efficiently, so it's convenient and easy to maintain over their stay. This, for example, could be in the form of custom designed or built-in furniture to maximize the space. Space also needs to be adaptable and flexible. One solution doesn't suit all, so a space needs to be adaptable or ensure there are a range of options so you can accommodate things like size requirements or different furniture needs. In a larger hospitality space or on block, you can look at offering different bedroom options or the ability to personalize where possible. And lastly, I would try to take a plug and play approach. Nothing makes you feel more at home than a room that's easy to use and adapt to your lifestyle. It can be as simple as like connecting to Wi-Fi or being able to hang and use their own decoration. Shared space in units, such as lounges and dining areas, are opportunities to build relationships and should accommodate all tenants. Unlike private spaces, these spaces don't belong to individuals, so they need to be able to use, they need to be easy to use and easy to maintain, to avoid arguments for things like keeping clean and ensure everything has a home, like shoes, TV remotes, etc. My first step is to ensure that there is a space for everyone. Like bedrooms need a space for everything, these spaces need to accommodate everyone. The lounge or dining areas need to see every housemate and friends. 
in someone like Singapore, this is much easier. You can be done with a long bench where there's always room to add one more. But in Thai spaces, like in Hong Kong, you need to be smart. For example, I've hidden folding chairs into feature wall decorations. I also like to think, I also like to include a sense of location everywhere. So each project I design incorporates local accents to give guests a sense of place and the culture they're in. It can be as simple as using artwork from a local artist or furniture from a local manufacturer. And lastly, I always try to make a project as sustainable as possible. It's important to give a consistent living experience to a user and ensure that the first person to move in has the same experience as the last, whilst having a minimal impact on the environment and the community around them. Choose furniture which is durable and easy to maintain so that everyone can experience the best of it, as well as the product made from sustainable materials to ensure it's best to the planet too. Community spaces are shared spaces within multi-unit projects, which allow operators to add value to their living experience and go above and beyond what you expect from a normal residential experience. I've designed a variety from rooftop gardens and sun decks to bars and co-working lounges. The purpose of these really depends on the demographic of the user, but I always consider this, a space for everyone. Utilize all the space you have to create a range of different settings so that everyone's needs can be accommodated. Some people like a cozy corner to read a book, whilst others want something, or others want a space where they can socialize and gather in larger groups. Along this line, I also want my space to adapt to the occasion. Spaces will be used for everything, from birthdays, workouts, seminars, and movie nights. It's important that they can cater to a wide range of needs to ensure that they are well utilized and can host get-togethers at every opportunity. And you also want your spaces to be intuitive for connectivity and collaboration. So guests can use without an introduction of why they're doing something wrong. And being easy to navigate, the space evolves into something beyond that has been designed and becomes even more valued part of the user's living experience. So how do these space, sorry, how do these tips work in real life? This is how I incorporated them into Singapore's first co-living hospitality product, Hamid Cantonment. The first step of a project like this was to understand the site's history in the community. Cantonment Road is located on the border of Singapore's business district in Tanjong Pagar. It dates back about 100 years and has quite strong ties to the history of Singapore itself. This site was built in the 1950s to house two local primary schools and has since been a government office as well as a shared workspace and today co-living space. To respect this history, I knew that the design concept would need to be sympathetic to the site's heritage and meet the needs of leisure and business travelers the site's location would attract. The buildings were huge and old. Walls, ceiling and pests needed to be removed, leaving a long light filled spaces. Once we could see our site, we could get, to, we'd get started on the design. As I began to create the concept, I realized we were in new territory. The idea of short-term short co-living was new and, it would need to, and I would need to rework my understanding of what co-living actually was and divide it for an even more transient user. Yes, this meant things like in-room safes and complementary but sustainable toiletries, but we wanted the design to be more meaningful and impactful. To cater to different needs, we created a wide range of different room types. From ensuite bedrooms for users looking for somewhere to sleep, the bedrooms with workspaces or kitchens to make a longer stay much easier. To maximize storage in the room, we made a small, to maximize storage in the bedrooms, we customized the furniture. For example, we worked with our manufacturer to increase the height of the beds to accommodate luggage. Not only would this help keep the rooms clutter free, we would also be able to reduce luggage storage requirements on site and offer more communal spaces. Taking advantage of natural light, we also added real plants to the rooms, enhancing the guest experience of our garden city. All the wooden furniture specified for the project were sustainably sourced. For the small rooms, this meant just a bed set, but as the rooms grew larger, we also added lounge furniture and dining sets. You'll also notice the thumbprint cushions throughout. These are from a local Singapore artist, Onluo. The prints are inspired by brutal iconic forms of public housing, which are an extra touch to root the design in the local, um, in the root the design and in its location. The most recognizable features in the bedroom are the panel walls which give quite a nice nod to old school houses. Similarly, we chose blue in the premium rooms to match the school uniforms and rich green in the others to complement the landscape. The largest rooms were also furnished with a fully equipped kitchen and washing machine so that they were self-sustaining for the longer staying guests. As we moved towards the shared spaces where people would either pass through or utilize on a daily basis, 
we needed to think beyond the basic facilities like a laundrette. And here are a few of my favorites that we included. The kitchen space went above and beyond the standard hospitality offering. We wanted to create a space akin to kitchens at home where you could store your perishables, access free cooking equipment and fresh water. Whether grabbing a breakfast in the morning or making tea, guests are able to choose their level of engagement and customize their experience based on what they're looking for. The beautiful polished terrazzo, uh, terrazzo header and sturdy handrail of the staircases are original features um, from the old school and a constant reminder of the history of the site. To complement this, we chose contemporary black lighting and custom boutique art pieces to serve as an, these serve uh, to honor the site's heritage and ensure the guests constantly are able to understand and appreciate the narrative of the site as they pass through each day. The community, so jumping to community spaces, the community demands of hospitality clientele is very different from those of standard clothing. So these spaces are different too. Whilst they still need flexibility, their main purpose is to be welcome and relaxing. At the heart of Cantonment, the communal space is the canteen. Guests check in here and can get comfortable with complimentary coffee, tea, or beer on tap. The space is flexible, diverse, going from kitchen to lounge to workspace. So guests can relax or pull out a laptop and get some work done. The design really feels familiar, nostalgic, and cozy. Lastly, we utilize the outdoor space and created outside lounges, dining, and plunge pools. So guests can not only appreciate the space, but also enjoy the weather as weather of Singapore. Just to show how strong co-living concepts can be, these are a few of the latest reviews of Hamlet Cantonman. It actively receives good press and excellent reviews, and they're not just based on customer service. Most reference community elements weaved into the design and how easy it is to feel at home and join the community. And of course, the free beer on tap. So I hope I've given you some inspiration. And remember, if in doubt, always include free beer. Close to each other, so we decided to pair up. So I'm gonna pass you right. over to Anna from Move Co Living. Right, before Anna comes on, uh, let me just uh, quickly welcome those who have joined us uh, since we started. Uh, this is a co-living event, in case uh, you have logged into the wrong link, uh, just a joke. Uh, this is uh, the topic for today, it's empowering hospitality, the real estate industry with innovative concepts. So um, so we have Will who presented uh, some uh, fantastic design. So the next, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in case you don't know, I just want to mention this also, we're not going to have the regular the style of speaker coming in uh, to speak for 20, 15 minutes, 25 uh, minutes or whatever. Uh, but what we're going to do is that we have a, a panel of, of speakers this afternoon and they will come in and um, introduce themselves and talk for uh, five, seven, ten minutes and, and, and then we will go into the Q&A session. So if you have any questions, uh, you can uh, put into the chat group and then we will collate them and ask them at the end of the session to the panel. So um, the next person in line is Anna. Anna, the mic's yours. Thank you. Thank you, Colib, and thank you, Kate, and Brian, and all these great people here. And I know everyone is very busy. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining in. It was so lovely. Thanks for joining and cheering me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so my name is Anna. Uh, we founded a company called Roof, uh, which is the co-living company. And uh, you okay? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry guys, uh, we have technical issues right now, I think. Are we okay? Yeah. You can hear me? Okay. Okay, so uh, yeah, my name is Anna. I am the founder of Roof. Uh, Roof is a co-living uh, company. Uh, we really, really focus on the community side of co-living and uh, we also like to collaborate and share and then we believe in uh, uh, working together and like Kate said, together, togetherness is one of our uh, biggest uh, mission uh, because I think without uh, we alone cannot do so much. So before I start, I would like to actually share something because I am inspired. But Roof is very much inspired by real estate and uh, hospitality industry. So this is something that actually touched my heart personally. So before I actually share some thoughts about this amazing topic, empowering hospitality and real estate industry with innovative concepts, I would like to share a video, if I may. Uh, give me two seconds because uh, I have to find it and share my screens if that is okay.
thank you everyone for uh, listening. Uh, you must be wondering why she, she has a co-living company, why is she not sharing the big uh, deck and why she's sharing this. So what I shared today has touched my heart because co-living is a lot about uh, member experience, community building, how you treat your uh, people. So this uh, video is actually from a resort in the Maldives. It's a seven-star resort. Why I love about it, it, what I love about it is that it is actually, they are saying goodbye to their guests. So whenever they say goodbye to their guests, they do this. This video is very special because these guests who left were their last guests before lockdown. So it's very emotional. And I think it really, really touches my heart. I've never know, I don't have any personal connection with the resort, but it's one of my favorite, favorite uh, 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 videos so far during the lockdown. It really gave me a lot of, uh, lot of happiness. So today I'm actually going to talk a little bit about what co-living is. Um, uh, those who are new, those who are uh, joining in from real estate industry and hospitality industry. Co-living is actually, it's, it's not a new concept. It's, it's a, it's, it's, the concept has been there for centuries, but now it has become such a big uh, thing because it is very affordable. Uh, we in Colliverse, co uh, we provide affordable housing and uh, we actually very much try to uh, create a culture through community. This is why we talk about technology and sustainability uh, cost efficient and convenience and member experience. I would like to uh, share some thoughts on that. Uh, as a co-living operator, I think our biggest uh, challenges were uh, not having a technology that is an end-to-end -end solution. Uh, why we mean by end-to-end -end solution is that when we try to find a space, it's very hard to find a space. When we try to have our operations, it's very hard to run the operations with human. I'm not denying that human element is important in an industry where uh, hospitality industry where you connect with people. But I think technology is very important uh, to have a cost efficient and sustainable uh, business. At the same time, member experience, I also want to highlight today uh, that uh, why we talk about innovative ideas is I think co-living co and co-working and co-culture bringing a lot of new ideas we, we always go and see what, how we can actually create an experience, create a value to our uh, brands and uh, give an experience internally and externally. So we have a lot of uh, loyalty pro programs uh, that can actually be something that we all can learn from. I also want to highlight today that uh, real estate industry, hospitality industry is very big and there are technology uh, there, there, there's design, there's furnishing, but what, what is different is what, what we think is different is what we think is beautiful and innovative is that uh, we, we actually understand how to create a cost-effective, intelligent business plan. Uh, like I said, the elements that we use are member experience and also convenient and what Will was sent uh, earlier today, he actually really explained a little bit about how they actually converted a space that was a real estate space that was a school, right? Yeah. Uh, and it is converted to a space which is a uh, which is which is hospitality first calling am i right to say that yeah uh, so i think it, it it actually created a beautiful space at the same time there's a community around it so it's actually um it's actually um it's actually sorry i got a message from sorry sorry guys i got distracted because i'm on a time limit uh, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, later on in the panel discussion, I think uh, we will talk more about how, uh, um, how, how this uh, innovative industry can learn from each other and then probably share some experiences. And I think my time is up now. <laughs> okay, well done. <laughs> I think I'll try Thank to, we'll, we'll see you in the panel later. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Um, next up, we have uh, Ian. You, you will want to listen to Ian. Okay, so I'm not going to take much time away from Ian. So please go ahead, Ian. The mic's yours. 
Thank you, Brian. Uh, my name is Ian Wilson. I am uh, till recently the I was recently uh, or most recently the senior vice president of non-gaming operations at Marina Bay Sands. But I've been in the real estate or uh, hotel industry forever, kind of all facets of the of the business. And and asked me to talk a little bit about, uh, today about business travel and, and kind of where I see that at. And obviously, it's decimated right now. Um, and it will recover, but I think it's going to come back after leisure um, and probably around the same time you start to see meetings. And really, it's not companies that are even in charge of it. It's countries at this point in time. So uh, I think what you'll see is a, a domestic recovery, though there's very little business travel that way, then regional and then ultimately international. But even when you know you see the entire uh, uh, situation change and you get the all clear it's very unlikely that it's going to return to the way it was anytime soon and the reason for that is that uh, uh, number one people have gotten very used to uh, using zoom uh, and uh, the technology has improved to a point where it really does uh, negate the need for as much business travel. The second point really is that uh, CFOs around the world are going to question why travel needs to resume anywhere near the, uh, the level it was at before um, COVID hit. Um, and that will slowly loosen over time because there are very compelling reasons, obviously, for business travel. There's nothing like seeing a customer in person. There's nothing like visiting a team in person, but do you need to do it as much and do you need to hop on a plane um, every single time? And, and the question is probably no. And I think the other thing is that companies are going to be risk averse. I mean, are you sending your employees into harm's way? And I think as a responsible employer, you're going to be very conservative about how quickly you actually potentially do that. Um, so, uh, um, you know, that, that's going to slow the, uh, uh, the return as well. I think as you start to see a return, you know, customers are going to behave differently. I don't know if anybody's flown recently. I, I came back uh, um, several weeks ago from uh, Europe and, uh, you know, I was on a plane with people in hazmat suits. So that was not exactly luxury travel as you would define it. And uh, that may remain people's largest fear as they go forward, whether justified or not. But certainly cleanliness will be key um, as, uh, as you go forward. And uh, uh, travelers will be looking very strongly for that and they'll be looking at any kind of confirmation about how clean things are so I think that you'll see that cleaning your spaces actually has to become theater um, and uh, it's not just something that you hide away on an overnight shift anymore and you have to figure out ways that you can tangibilize um, the cleaning that has been done they're also going to hop on anything that speaks to an area not being clean. So any kind of evidence, whether that be in your public areas or outside, that uh, instills doubts in that customer is going to be a problem for you as you, as you go along. Um, you know, and I think uh, as things uh, return, you're going to kind of end up with two camps. You're going to end up with uh, one camp of travelers who would prefer more of an Airbnb type experience where they're away from as many people, uh, perhaps as a hotel, um, you know, uh, but of course then you don't necessarily have a brand that's backing up your level of cleaning and that will be, you know, the other camp that probably feels perhaps more comfortable with, uh, with a branded experience uh, because they feel that they're, they're more likely to follow through. But uh, um, uh, it will be interesting to see how that returns and, uh, and you know, kind of what their concept is, how food and beverage and other things actually work. And, and that's probably another uh, seven minute discussion after this. But I think the other thing is, regardless of what happens, you know, you'll need to be providing people with uh, more tools so that they can clean themselves as well. So, you know, uh, alcohol wipes in rooms and other things. So regardless of whether you've cleaned this place uh, immaculately, they will still have the opportunity to, uh, to do it uh, you know, should they so desire. Now, um, I won't go into it now. Maybe it's better for the panel session. I think that there's implications for hotels as you go through this about do you need to tweak your business model, especially if this travel is not coming back anytime soon. Um, and, you know, I see a wonderful opportunities actually for blending co-living with hotels um, for if for no other reason than um, uh, in, in hotels, you're always talking about providing an authentically local experience. And if you actually can provide a little bit of that authentic 
authentic local character through some of the patrons and you actually build a little bit of critical mass in your venues just through residents, um, that does great things for you. And I guess in some ways it's not that different from mixed use development, though, you know, it's a little bit more casual than some of those may be and it's not an outright uh, residential purchase, but um, I think it does offer, open up uh, interesting opportunities as you kind of blend these models to, uh, to uh, uh, keep hotels busy and also uh, uh, to create an uh, enhanced experience for, for customers. So I'm not sure if I'm at time, but that's it. And I can elaborate more during the panel. Thank that's you, Ian. Fine. Spot on. Wow. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. So we have one more uh, person at the panel, on the panel, uh, Praveen. Uh, certainly last but not least, but uh, so Praveen, mic's yours. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Brian. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for spending your Friday afternoon with us. I hate to be the last person between uh, us and you getting to the pub, so I'll try and make mine <laughs> brief. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, my name's Praveen. I come from a hospitality tech background. Uh, so obviously, uh, we do now solutions for co-living as well. So we've got to really uh, experience both aspects of things and sort of see how tech can enable hotels as well as how tech can enable the co-living co operators as well. And uh, there's really a lot that each industry can benefit from each other, right? So I'll start off with co-living and some of the fantastic things that they've done uh, being a new up-and-coming industry uh, is the community angle, right? The community angle has been something that has been paramount. And that's something that every co-living operator is about. It's about building a community, uh, building a sense of uh, personalization, understanding who their residents are, what exactly they want, you know, and uh, fostering those long, lengthy, loyal relationships through a community. Now, this is something that obviously, uh, as hotels, uh, I usually are a one night stand operation, right? So you basically look at look after the guest for one night and you, you don't really know the person the next day. And that's how they've always operated. And uh, in the sense of actually collecting data about uh, the guests that they visit, you know, it could, it, it's usually just three points, you know, the first name, last name, mobile number and email address. And that's about all you know about the guest, right? So it's always been a challenge actually building those uh, relationships, building that sense of loyalty with the guests, you know, and making them want to come back more and more to your establishment as a hotel. And that's what co-living has done really well, you know, and uh, fostering personalization, ensuring those relationships are a lot more deep, you know, and uh, building those things. Uh, so from a, I guess, hospitality perspective, looking at what hospitality has done great. I mean, the thing about hospitality is it's been running now for more than two centuries, right? So the systems sort of span that far back, We're going far back from a rule ledger book, you know, all the way now to a completely automated operation, right? So the operational systems used in a hotel are very robust and also uh, enable the staff to perform the absolute best when it comes to service. Uh, and it comes to the guest satisfaction aspect, right? So everything in a hotel and we provide end-to-end -end solutions for uh, both operations. And uh, with the hotel aspect of things, obviously, all the systems are geared around to provide data up to the granular level. So uh, that goes for your, your, you know, your financial aspect of things from a costing angle, uh, from a revenue perspective, you know, uh, it goes as far as, you know, budgeting, uh, department-wise budgeting. So as far as I guess, uh, let's say you buy a, a set of 10 notebooks and you want to know which department, you know, spent money on each of these. So you, it goes to a huge amount of depth. And this is something that obviously can help co-living operators. And, the co-living operators are more focused on really the, the front-end part, right, which is really your sales part and your uh, community part. Uh, and I'd like to sort of share a bit of a case study because we work, we had the pleasure of working with a company to build a solution. So we work with uh, India's largest, uh, I guess, luxury student housing provider. Uh, we do 5,000 rooms with them at the moment, and we built a solution together working with them. Now, they actually started off their journey initially uh, with their own uh, tech stack. So they actually hired a company to build a solution for them. And the company built the solution exactly the way they wanted it. You know? uh, and what happened was when, they, when it actually did go live, they experienced a lot of uh, issues because it wasn't scalable. You know? And this is where the tech partner is, is really important, the one that you actually tie up with, because they've got to understand your business. But at the same time, they need to challenge you. you know, there are certain aspects. Uh, of operations that really, uh, if someone has some experience and some background in that will certainly benefit 
the way you run things, right? So in their case, obviously, uh, they had a tech company that just built everything the way they wanted. And that's how most co-living operators do uh, work. Like they're more a tech company than a co-living operation. And they spend a huge amount of time and resources in building tech. Uh, but there are no standardized systems, right? And so in their case, obviously, when we worked with them, uh, we helped them build a good solution that will using a mobile first approach, because that's obviously the, the end market segment is millennials. So using a complete mobile first approach, we built a, a ground up system that will let their residents who are basically students um, utilize the system end to end, you know, from the subscription all the way through to uh, the actual financial aspect, processing of payments, and more importantly, maintenance. You know, uh, if there's any request that needs to be adhered to, put it through the right motions. And there were many things in which they leaned on our ex expertise from hospitality because in hospitality, these things are done and dusted, right? So these, they are very, very good uh, hospitality solutions that are built that actually empower these uh, operations. So they leaned on us there. Where, so we built a good partnership with them and, and that was a result. You know, we built a good product that was completely end-to-end -end, uh, that really catered to their expectations, but from a hospitality background. Uh, so to sort of wrap things up, I suppose uh, it, it, it's really a, a benefit, you know, to, to look at both uh, sides of the plate, look at, look at co-living, look at a hospitality, look at what each one is strong in and merge those two together to bring a best of breed. So from a tech angle. Okay, thank you. Uh, look forward to the panel discussion. Thank you so much. Um, just uh, a, a gentle reminder uh, that the topic for today is empowering hospitality, real estate, uh, industry with innovative concepts. So I just want to put that into context because uh, what we have tried to achieve is to have the different presenters uh, do a short five to seven minutes uh, kind of uh, introduction so that we can have a lot of time for your questions and answers. Uh, and, the, and the panel, uh, it's ready. Uh, and, and we kind of had achieved that. It's, it's 40 past uh, uh, four. And, and let me just kick off with the first question, right? So if you have a question, please feel free to put it into the chat group. So I have a first question for, for uh, uh, Ankit, can you unmute yourself and join us in the panel as well? So this question yeah. is, um, where do we see core living concepts adding value to the hospitality industry? Uh, I think this is something that uh, we, uh, Ian has talked about, uh, and 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 where do we see co-living concepts adding value to the hospitality industry? So either Ian or Ankit, you can uh, maybe uh, address this question. So I think uh, co-living. Um, I mean, Ian elaborated very well, very nicely about uh, you know where where the hospitality industry stands at the moment, and we all know that hospitality industry will take its time to come back uh, because. Uh, um, especially in places like Singapore, where the domestic market is not as huge as many other countries have, um, you know, international travel is what this country depends highly on. So um, we will have to start, um, you know, um, sort of deep diving into what other opportunities are there. And co-living certainly presents one of those opportunities. Um, hotels uh, primarily focused on um, personalization of the guests and, and, you know, short term, very short term let. Uh, not one night stands, I would say. I think uh, it's more like two, two and a half uh, night stands. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I think because a lot of facilities are already there, and, and especially with what Will actually um, showed us in the beginning in his presentations, that conversion of certain um, common spaces into, into co-living uh, common areas uh, would be one of the biggest opportunities that the hotels have. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, in Intercontinental Singapore, Robertson Key, uh, you know, we have been toying around with the idea of how do we make our our public areas more attuned into the co-working space. Now, uh, you know, co-working was was an idea that uh, sort of is, is very related to co-living, uh, although co-living encompasses a lot more. Uh, and and if we are able to marry the accommodation part along with the uh, public areas. That is one of the biggest opportunities uh, the hospitality industry has at this point in time. And, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of uh, hospitality operators jumping into this uh, bandwagon as well. Uh, in Singapore itself, there's a, there's a hotel company that has uh, just opened its first co-living space. Uh, so it is happening. It is happening as we talk right now here. Um, there would be requirements of design uh, rethink and there would be requirements for um, maybe some investments as well. 
but I think hospitality industry, uh, being at the mature level that they are, uh, they could certainly you know benefit out of uh, out of getting another um, another different style of or different way of surviving through this period. Uh, and then you know uh, it's not like this this co living is particularly for uh, distress periods. It's a business and it's an it's an idea. It's a very strong uh, sort of concept on its own. So. Uh, we're always looking for ways and ideas of how we can diversify our business. Uh, so I think it's 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 very good uh, outlook out there. Thank you, Ian. Do you have anything to add to that? Sorry, I do. Now that I'm on mute, uh, um, you know, I think you really have a shorter-term strategy and a longer-term strategy. So in the short term. Um, you know, it's going to be market by market, uh, the optimal strategy, but, you know, it's unlikely that uh, Singapore, for instance, is suddenly going to blow the doors off with occupancy um, anytime soon because there's going to be slow return of people. So uh, hotels would be wise to look at, do I take a percentage of my inventory and allocate that to co-living? Do I expand my food and beverage operations into my uh, uh, meeting space and uh, and actually then create more private dining rooms and other uh, elements that people could uh, could utilize and then do I take some of my space and also make it kind of co-working space as well and then have a blend of occupants or people who are permanent residents as well uh, or very long stay uh, as well as you know your transient guests who will be uh, starting to come through um, as that continues along Really, it's, it's like, uh, uh, what's your optimal mix? So it's a revenue management type decision. Do you lay in a foundation of that all the time? But, you know, for a co-living, uh, to convert a, a hotel to kind of a co-living type experience, it's not that hard. Um, and for many elements such as breakfast, for instance, you know, you reach a critical mass when you have enough people coming through. So uh, if you bundle in um, some kind of a, a breakfast, perhaps, uh, or a food and beverage credit that people could use at different times, then that helps to keep your outlets busy. And the incremental cost is very small because you still have to have your staff in place. So really, you're just talking about, you know, your uh, variable cost, which is your food cost. And, and you, can, uh, you can look at it as uh, uh, laying in a, a foundation against your fixed costs in order to be able to, to drive profitability. The other thing is it, it just makes such a difference if you have some kind of a, a buzz in your facility. So, you know, and maybe this is part of the consideration as you go into the longer term. If your bar feels busy, if your restaurant feels busy, if it's a place that the like, locals like to come to uh, and you have re a resident population that likes to frequent it, then that becomes a destination of choice for visitors because I think it uh, it has a lot more character, it's a lot more interesting, you meet more interesting people, it has a better local buzz. Obviously, you still have to perform at a high level in order to create something that's compelling, but I think that's uh, it's an interesting model. I think the other thing is your demographic shift. So, you know, the boomers are getting older and uh, um, you've got uh, uh, the millennials and Gen Z coming after that who have different needs and I think that, you know, a, a more collaborative space is uh, is desirable. Now, many hotel companies were moving that way. They're backpedaling a little bit right now with COVID, but, you know, COVID's not going to last forever. And I think that ultimately you're going to end up with something in between, but uh, but I think it is still desirable for, for people to have some kind of a, a sense of uh, a shared experience and, a, and uh, uh, exposure to the local community when they visit. And even if that means that some of your co-living space is for transient guests and some of it is for uh, permanent residents uh, or long-term residents, I think it probably blends very well. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I, well, I guess the regulators then uh, will have to decide how you know, because of the zoning and, and I think the regulators will have a say in hotels converting to co-living. Um, uh, I don't know because hotels, many hotels will still have permanent residents who live in the hotel. So I don't know that you really, it's not like you're turning it into a residential property. It's still a, it's still a, a hotel uh, experience and hotel experience is a pretty broad spectrum. So uh, you're not trying to sell off rooms individually. Uh, it's really more of a, a mixed experience and uh, it really depends how much kitchen space people really want. And, you know, cause to go and install a bunch of kitchens in your hotel is not a simple thing, but in Singapore, so many people eat such a large percentage of their meals out anyway, that it probably is not that much of a stretch and Hong Kong would probably be very similar. So yeah, that's a great reminder. Uh, we have a question from, uh, from Kate. 
Um, I think the question not is... Not me. Not me, Kate. No, the other no, Kate. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just to let Kate, you know, otherwise I would ask you directly. Yeah, Kate Shillman. Mm -hmm. uh, to those currently operating a co-living space, I think that's this is for Anna. What has been your biggest challenge overall? Hi, hi, thank you, Kate. Kate, are you in Singapore? Just hi, no, I'm actually in Portugal. Oh, wow, okay. Thank oh, you for hi. joining us. Good morning yeah, to you. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, good morning, good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Brian, and uh, yeah, so the biggest challenge is operations. Uh, operation, of course, this is why uh, we were talking about technology and innovation. Community building is uh, not that tough if you really want to have, a, like Ian mentioned, a character building experience. Um, operational is, is, is not easy. And also we do not have a centralized system to uh, manage the operation and it's very costly as well. So two years into, into Roof, uh, we are operating in Singapore for two years and we decided to shift into finding a solution in technology that uh, that is centralized, that we can manage the property, we can manage the community, we can also manage the operation. So I would say operational operation is the most challenging part uh, for us. Did, did it answer your question? Yes, it did actually. This is actually a really interesting insight because um, I, I'm actually building a co-living space from scratch uh, right now uh, near Ericeira which is a surf um, hotspot here. Um, so I'm definitely not at the point of operations, but I'm trying to anticipate what, you know, where the challenging areas might be. And yeah, this, this is super interesting for me. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you very much for the question. And also it is a time to get in touch with uh, proper uh, management systems. Uh, and uh, I think uh, without going into human resources, because uh, and since you're starting, I think, uh, personally speaking, our biggest challenge was like uh, getting the right people in the operation, getting people who have a community-centric mindset, because co-living is very, very community-centric. So uh, the experience has to come from the heart. So I would say try to try to look out for some technology systems. Uh, that would be something that we should. I would like Thank to. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Yeah. So. Um, talking about technology, uh, Carolina from, uh, I don't know where you're from, uh, talking about innovation, I agree, making the best use of technology is a must to strive. Uh, what the examples of innovative solutions, concepts, have you encountered recently in hospitality? I think it's, uh, uh, this question is open to um, every, anyone in the panel. So let me just repeat this again. Talking about innovation, I agree, making the best use of technology is a must to strive. What other examples of innovative solutions, concepts, have you encountered recently in hospitality? Uh, let, let me lead with that, uh, since we are sort of like a tech company, I suppose, uh, in this space. Uh, but from a, I guess, a hospitality tech perspective, uh, really what's happened now is a, a lot of the operations have gone contactless, right? So that has been really the big drive uh, as far as uh, technology is concerned because hospitality has always been a very person-to-person uh, uh, -person centric operation, right? Where you've always had a lot of face-to-face -face interaction. So it was a big change for the industry right, right now to, to move to a tech centric platform where all the engagement happens digitally. So, so that's what has been uh, has taken a lot of uh, our development effort and time as well. And we're working with the Singapore Tourism Board to also implement our solution in a couple of hotels there in, in Singapore. So it's, it's purely to ensure that that entire guest journey uh, starts from the beginning, uh, you know, from the time before they check in all the way till the time they check out. They interact through the system uh, with the hotel and at a high level of interaction uh, to make up for what is actually lacking from the face to face. So I'll leave it to the hotels also to, to highlight. Maybe Ian and Ankit can also give their view. Where do you start? Um, uh, well, just building on what you mentioned, I think 
I think, uh, you know, true innovation in hospitality is to try and uh, get it to mirror more what you would experience in a person's home. So how do you reduce all the friction out of, uh, out of your journey? Um, no desks, no administration that can all be dealt with by uh, mobile before you arrive and, and validation of uh, identification, et cetera, um, you know, within the limits of what the law is, but to just reduce it and, you know, make it much more that you're met with by someone uh, who knows a little bit about you just from your passport, who should then be able to make relevant suggestions to you about things you may want to do while you're here. And that's, that's uh, done by creating uh, um, you know, uh, little market segments or personas of individuals who were similar to you and then what it is that they did. And so you can make some, uh, some relevant suggestions. I think another trend that's coming is, uh, you know, with the COVID-19 and actually other kind of fitness forces is how do you use the uh, room more effectively for personal fitness as well. I think uh, that's an interesting area and I've seen some very interesting uh, um, uh, devices to allow people to do that, you know, and that's really booming right now in terms of the home fitness market as well. So I think that's an opportunity for, for hotels. Um, I don't know it's about having the fanciest room and the most, uh, in, you know, the most whiz-bang technology. Have a TV that uh, and some decent sound that your phone can connect to and you can stream everything that you want to have, I think is, uh, is very good. But I think the back end is how do you build in a ton of uh, data and analytics so that you can improve much more quickly, um, understand cause and effect, understand uh, what the 20% is that drives 80% of the results, uh, and understand uh, how to get better fast. I think that's the real beauty of data. And then uh, automation, how do you get rid of low value tasks? Uh, how do you take the robot out of the human? And that may be actual robotics or things like digital process automation or robotic process automation that will allow you to get rid of low value work uh, uh, and uh, allow your staff to focus in on much more high value tasks like taking great care of your guests. Thank you. Anyone else at the panel wanna, you wanna join, you wanna answer that? Yeah, I, I really think Ian's hit the nail on the head. Um, I think a complete plug and play approach to uh, spaces when it comes to design, it can be uh, making sure the TVs can connect to the mobiles, as Ian said, so you can watch Netflix straight away, be able to relax, or stream uh, stream exercise. Um, but also, uh, you can incorporate design to make the spaces much more sustainable. So uh, put sensors through the space so you're able to monitor electric use um, and reduce it when the space isn't in use, reducing costs for the operator, as well as making the guest experience much more sustainable. And you can also improve the, even the check-in experience. So um, you can check in through an app, you can get to the room, you can unlock the door with your phone. That way, everything is seamless and everything feels very intuitive and ready to use. And I think technology can really help enhance and make the experience seamless. Thank you. I think it's all about the guest experience. Seamless, 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 seamless. Where did that come from? Yeah, so it's all about the guest experience. I think uh, the community and, and and the way a community feels. Um, if God willing, we're gonna have a tech summit sometime towards the end of the year. So, you know, I would like to really uh, have a tech summit and to bring in different technologies that, that uh, 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 hospitality industry, co-living, co-working um, uh, industry might uh, be interested in. So if God willing, we're gonna do that probably towards the end of the year. Uh, fingers crossed, uh, we're working towards that. Uh, and I think technology is uh, it's something that uh, everyone should be looking into. Now, that's an interesting uh, uh, three-part question from uh, Sovi. Uh, and, I, and I'm just going to throw it out there. Is it possible for co-working uh, to become... I think that's what he meant or she meant. Is it possible for co-working to become co-living industry? The second part is if location cannot be changed and... Um, and there's not much traffic. What should we do? And the third part is how to customize the community. I mean, each co-living have their own style, but what is the what is the red line that we can ad adapt from it? So I'm not sure if um, if you understood the question correctly. Uh, it's in the chat group. Yeah. Uh, three parts question. So uh, panel, please feel free. Yeah. yeah, I think we can we can take over so, this. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can have a go answer yeah. this. Um, awesome. I think the answer is simply co-working. Co-working become co-living. Yes. Um, going back to my presentation, I think you need to understand 
the basic users' needs and provide spaces for that. So providing private spaces, shared spaces, and communal spaces, somewhere to sleep, somewhere to cook their dinner, somewhere to watch TV with their housemates. Um, that being said, you just need to understand the demographic of your user. Um, if your uh, place is full of young professionals looking for more of a work environment, then you need to adapt the design and space to that. But if they're much more of a transient user, um, more of a holiday attitude, then again, adapt to that. Um, which I think also kind of touches on your last question. Um, always design based on your user. Don't try to create something that's not authentic because that's gonna age quicker. It's gonna um, really attract the wrong kind of, it's gonna attract a much more transient person who's not gonna join your community. So with the design, understand your user, um, really play off your location. So you're in Bali, it's beautiful. People go to Bali to see Bali. They don't go to Bali for a city experience. So play off um, your local accents, find local makers, find local artists to really make your space communal. Um, and then don't bring in things which the demographic don't want. Cool. Anyone else? Yeah, I would like to add that uh, co-working and co-living is co-culture. We call it creating something that, that belongs because uh, like Will shared, creating space that belongs, that you feel like belong and yeah. uh, utilizing the space uh, for, for people uh, and uh, making sure the community uh, feel that it's their home or it's their working space. Now, Will and I were talking in the morning about uh, having a space where, which is a co-living space where you can actually go and collaborate, that become a co-working space. This is called culture, creating community, people bringing together to live and uh, especially during social distancing, I think it's very important to be in one particular place, uh, live, work and create your community. Yeah, live, work and play. <laughs> I didn't Gotta have a bit of fun. <laughs> Um, yeah. A couple of thoughts for me. Uh, I mean, of course, location is always a key, but how do you make it a destination? And uh, if, if it's geared towards uh, transient visitors, maybe you seed it with a few long stay residents or guests who have real character, because those are the kind of individuals that people write about. And uh, uh, if you can find the right people, uh, you may find that they become a real attraction for people to actually come there because they create an ambiance all on their own. So everything that Will said about authentically local, I think that they just add to that element. And if you really want the true Bali experience, this is one way to get it. And whether that's historian type folks or whether it's what the neatest areas are or a, a mix of all of the above, things that add some real character and some color uh, are definitely uh, helpful as well. Thank you. I, I think technology is something um, that we have been talking about. Uh, that's an interesting question uh, that I would like to ask. How would technology then take away from or enhance the community experience? How will technology either enhance or take away the community experience? I, I believe that uh, I believe that we can use there has to have a certain uh, human element in, in when we are given an experience there has to be a certain but most of it can be technology so we, we can implement technology into it but at the same time i was i was sharing again earlier today with will that i mean these days we are all connected uh, through linkedin which is uh, considered innovative technology um, social media and uh, right now we are all connected globally and this feels like this feels real so I, I doubt that you can take away the human element if you curate it the way you want it to be like uh, Ian said I'm really holding on to that uh, authentic character building I'm going to hold on to it because I think that's very important uh, and technology provides this right now at this moment because we are we are connected through technology right now yeah, and I think you can you can put a face on your technology. Technology helps you operate your business, but if you have a human contact at the beginning that a person can get a reaction from, speak to, if they have a problem, it can be answered immediately. Then it just eases the experience, and everything is backed by technology, so it becomes much more seamless. Uh, Brian, uh, just to add to that, I mean, technology yeah. is an enabler, right? It's 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 never really meant to replace uh, individuals, right? Uh, and it's really supposed to remove those mundane tasks that are there that you know basically 
uh, individuals actually doing instead of actually interacting with uh, your guests or your residents, right? Technology is that really enable the whole uh, operation to run smoothly and effectively. Uh, and it frees up, obviously, the team to be more focused on the community angle, obviously, which is, which is what is important, rather than filling spreadsheets and organizing work, you know? Uh, so, so that is what technology is for. It also adds a lot of time as well. Like, um, uh, like you mentioned just now, for, for a startup uh, community building company, we have to focus on the community. And so if we have technology to support it, it actually really uh, reduces the amount of time we spend, uh, like you mentioned, uh, we spend in uh, very little mundane things. I think, uh, I think my two cents worth, and uh, Anka, you should uh, pipe up too. I think technology for technology's sake is always a great mistake. Good technology is invisible or very, uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, unintrusive. Subtle, uh, and it should enable as opposed to irritate. And a lot of technology just irritates. Um, and, um, you know, if you want to look about uh, who probably does it one of the best in terms of a guest room experience go look at Peninsula. They probably have the most advanced hotel rooms that you're ever going to see, but it's all just so simple to use and it all just kind of uh, blends seamlessly with that experience. So that takes a lot of work. Uh, I would avoid bad technology. If there's any advice, it's like, you know, the 42 remotes to try and get that great stereo to work, just don't bother because uh, it will never, ever, ever work and your staff will spend the entire time servicing the room and upset guests. So simple, works, easy to use, think about Apple. I think that's probably the, the best mantra you can have. As you said, Ian, um, I think uh, the, 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 the example that I can give is uh, from, from the current uh, stay home notice uh, experience that we are providing to our, to our um, guests or customers who are coming back or coming home to Singapore. Um, you know, there you would see that technology is enabling us to get in touch with people without directly meeting them. So. It, it really depends on how you want to play the technology, uh, you know, um, in, in everything that you do. Uh, it is an enabler. It is, it can be very intrusive as well. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, how hospitality in my view uh, and my personal view should handle this is that, you know, we are, we are a labor intensive industry. We are trying to use technology to reduce or to, sorry, not reduce, but improve the efficiency of the processes so that we can have more time to go back to our guests and have that those face-to-face -face interactions, spend more time in in uh, you know um, giving them the experiences that they're looking for. Uh, a lot of places actually um, you know get bogged down into the fact that oh technology is there, so now I have too much to do. I have to look at analytics. I have to look at uh, you know processes. I have to look at uh, what the guest uh, requirements are as well. Um, but but that's where I think we can make a make a step forward by saying that okay, this is how much the time is. I'm gonna use technology to benefit me in, in providing the efficiency, and then the remaining of the time is actually gonna go in and making sure that I do have those interactions that are very, very valuable, even more valuable in today's world than they have been in the past. Awesome, yeah, that's, uh, that's another comment about wearable technology as well. So um, that's a question from uh, Sindarth. One sentiment that we have seen across our co-living operator clients is that COVID is a temporary cost and, and heavy investment to counter the current situation is a tough decision. So my question is, what are the parameters for you to decide how much to invest for tech operations, spatial design, et cetera, just to counter the current pandemic situation? So the question is, what are the parameters for you to decide how much to invest for tech operations, uh, spatial design, et cetera, just to counter the current pandemic situation. So, um, I'll start. Just, yeah. I, I would say that um, uh, digitization will be accelerated by and is being accelerated by COVID and it's not suddenly going to go back. So I would use this as an opportunity to experiment, to try things and to look at how you can reduce uh, friction in a guest journey, enhance customer experience, increase your productivity uh, using technology um, because your competitors are all doing it. And you also need to look at how you can enhance your margins. And now's the time to, to 
to really uh, hop on it. I think the other thing is that all expectations of cleanliness are going to be sky high for a long time. They already are in hospitality, but they're going to be even higher. So, you know, I think uh, you have to abide by whatever stipulations you have in the local community, but most of all, you're going to have to reassure your patrons that, uh, that uh, you are taking the this affliction very seriously and that uh, you have their well-being uh, at uh, the forefront in terms of your interactions with them. It need not cost a billion dollars to do it um, uh, in terms of some of the spatial things or the more temporary things. Over time uh, it will change but I don't know that you're going to get back to quite the same density that you had in the past and have people have a real comfort level. So you know that may impact your capacity constraints in certain levels uh, depending on what's going on. I would like to add that I think the, the question like how much to invest, I think it is also uh, business to business. Uh, different uh, operators have different uh, values and visions. So it depends on how much you have learned and how much you want to actually, uh, like how much cost effective you want to run and how much you want to build the community. So if you if we want to put a certain amount, I'm the founder of Polyvinyl Crater, we want to put a certain amount, we certainly know that technology is uh, very important uh, for Polyvinyl to sustain and survive the future and build into it. How we design it, we want community-centric uh, technology system, we want a centralized system, and it is very hard for us to have a, a solution from here and there, which is available right now. So how much, to put it, it depends on how much you want to implement in your business model. This is also depends on, on that, I guess. I think you can take the same approach to how much you invest in spatial design. Um, there's definitely data out there to show the value of designing co-living. Um, you're going to get about 10 to 20% more revenue from a space that's nicely designed where people want to live to a space that's uh, taken off the hands of the landlord or the furniture is older or the condition is not as good. So it's definitely worth investing in the aesthetic of your co-living brand. Um, paired with that, you're also looking at um, improving safety uh, in the current climate. So ensure that the space is as clean as possible, uh, easy to clean as possible through design, um, easy to maintain, uh, and it's not going to tire from being cleaned too much, for example. Um, all things you need to consider and getting value back from, from the space. Uh, Praveen, Anki, anything to add? So I've had the I've had the privilege of uh, you know leading hotels uh, in the past in capacity of the director of finance and uh, you know I get asked a lot of times uh, how much money can we spend I always tell them that you know you need to I mean if I if I give you hundred thousand dollars to spend on a on buying a glass of water you will actually end up spending hundred thousand so um, you know when it comes to cost we really have to be mindful of what real value are we getting. Um, a lot of times we've seen, you know, people uh, leaning towards uh, investing in technology. Um, unfortunately, because we want the latest product out there. We want the latest technology out there without fully understanding. And I think, uh, you know, this is, this is, again, something that we all need to be mindful of, um, uh, that, that we, we need to assess ourselves. What is our, what is our client? What is our customer wanting? And uh, if it is at a, uh, a stage where we don't have customers because we're just starting out, then uh, it is it is great to go and have an experience in other similar similar businesses and and assess you know um, what is your level of comfort for investment amount. Um, so yeah, I mean be 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 cautious, be mindful because technology uh, is something that will require a lot of money and uh, it will change fast as well. Uh, it could change for better, but will also uh, has a has a huge uh, uh, it, it has a huge um, you know a nature of uh, the, the nature of technology is that it's going to become obsolete very very soon so uh, we 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 do need to be mindful about that. Yeah, I mean to add to that, it's it's just a matter of uh, an ROI. Ultimately, you've just got to look at your ROI from a financial perspective, right? What are you investing in? What are you getting out of it? And how long is it going to take to recuperate your what you're investing in? So it's as simple as that. And I think you come from a IOT background from what I can see. So if you look at IOT that can be used in the rooms, uh, if you look at the hotel industry, that's something that's picking up really, really well. And I know companies in Singapore that are, that are doing this where they're literally installing the sensors and 
and telling them we'll we'll take your your you know your bill from this much to this much and you know basically pay us a percentage of that right so come up with innovative ways to essentially show that there's a good return on investment on on basically what you're what you're selling I would like to add as a co-living operator that uh, initially we did not know what technology is right for us. Uh, like uh, you were saying that ROI, cost efficient. So we, we, are, we are thinking what to get because there's a lot of property technology out there and also uh, management systems out there. So initially we did not actually have any thought. So I think it's a very interesting uh, point to look into uh, all, all, all the technology providers to actually try to uh, find what co-living operators are looking for. So we try to make uh, blenders as business owners, as startup owners, because we don't know where to go, which context. So it would be very, very nice to have a co-living uh, technology system that is an end-to-end -end solution. I think most of the co-living operators are looking into that. I think the other thing to think about is uh, two things. One is that um, rarely does having the best individual bits of technology result in having uh, the best success. It's about how well those pieces of technology interact with each other. Um, the second thing I'd say is that, uh, you know, it, we're in the land of data now. So make sure you can get all the data out of all your systems and that you're using all of that data. Um, and ultimately the accumulation and uh, compilation of data is system agnostic. But I would argue that the biggest ROI over time is going to come from accumulating that data and then putting it to work for you to allow you to improve your operation. Um, and if you look at company after company, you no longer seem to classify themselves as an airline or a bank or whatever, but as a data company, it's because that they are unlocking the uh, secrets of their business as they do so. Uh, in hospitality, I see really five streams of data. You've got customer data, you've got operational data, including your financial data, you've got human resources data, building data, and then you've got kind of all of your market data. And when you start to have an interplay between all of those, it's tremendous what the insights are, and you can really start to understand um, how to improve rapidly, how to increase your productivity rapidly, how to increase your service rapidly, and your profitability. Uh, it's powerful stuff. Thanks again for joining us today. And from all of us here at CoLive, we hope you learned a lot and maybe even picked up a few pieces of wisdom to help expand the CoLiving movement. To check out the CoLive membership that will allow you to connect with other leading CoLiving professionals, or even just to stay updated on future podcasts and upcoming events, head over to CoLive.org. Again, that's co-liv.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode.